Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let's share in God's good word together. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. You know, I think uh, Megan's description is right on target. Advent is that time. It can be confusing because, yes, we're on our way, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. There's an old dad joke that goes like this. You see that uh, the Magic Kingdom Disney uh, and Epcot, right right over here, it, it's on the left side. And, and the story goes that there was a mom and a dad and two kids in the back, and they were almost to Disney World, and dad was so tired of driving, they'd driven through the night, and he was not really with it. And so when they looked up and they saw over there in the left lane, they said, Dad, Dad, Disney World left. And he turned around and took them home. There it is. Oh, that's a bad one, isn't it? That's a terrible, that's a terrible joke. But I did find the sign. Give me that. Today we start a new day. Uh, we have started it. It's almost Christmas, but not yet. We're almost there, but not yet. There's still problems in the world. And so we're going to look at peace today. And really the thing about peace is it is the antidote for the anger of our world. So much anger. So much hatred. Have you noticed that people are worse drivers now than like in the last 20 years? I think it's our phones, but it, it makes people angry, just angry. And so over the next four weeks, um, we're going to be looking at this um, study called Almost Christmas. There's a book that goes along with it. If you would like that, um, you can uh, get that book. And there's also a class that goes on at the next hour, uh, Robert Gorilla's teaching. And you'll notice down here that there are four different authors, uh, one for each week. And so this week, it's going to be um, Reverend DeVega, uh, and then on and on and on. So if you are new uh, to a historic church, um, you know, th- this is pretty interesting and cool to me. When I was ordained, my bishop gave me uh, basically a little history lesson of every bishop that had laid hands on the bishop before them and their ordination. And so my, my ordination goes all the way back to the first bishop in America, Francis Asbury. And I know the exact succession line all the way back. Now, we would also know that Francis Asbury was ordained by John Wesley. John Wesley was in the Church of England, which came out of the Church of Rome. And so if I really want to stretch my na- imagination, I got baptized by Peter. <laughs> That's the way I like to think of it. You think of it how you need to. Uh, so as an introduction, we are on our way, but we're not there yet. It's Advent. And it comes from the Latin Adventus, meaning coming or arrival. And it, it's this four-week season of preparation for the coming of Jesus at Christmas and into our lives again, the second coming as well. And so oftentimes the church has sort of lost Advent. We've kind of just hopped straight to Christmas. Uh, and that's a mistake. Because if, if we've learned anything, we've learned that things that are worth doing take work. They're hard and they take preparation. You know, I always um, I'm pretty skeptical of the, the weddings that happen at Vegas. You know? No, no planning, no preparation. They just, ooh, well, just, and that, you know, I'm, I'm not putting money that that's going to be a long-lasting one. And, and it's true for our faith as well. We don't just hop, oh, it's Christmas. 
if we're not careful, we'll lose the entire meaning of what's going on. Um, I don't know about you, but in my family, we have a long tradition of being frustrated with Christmas tree lights. One goes out, the whole string goes out, you're trying to fix it. And before you know it, you've lost half your day trying to fix a $3 set of lights. And we're like, where's Jesus? Come on, Jesus. I'm mad at my Christmas lights. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Advent is a season of expectant waiting. Tapping into the sense we have that all is not well. The longing for the world to be made right again. It's a season for restless hearts. And people weary of a broken world. Who want with all our being to know there's more than this. There has to be more than bad dad jokes and Christmas lights that don't work. It just has to be. And our founder, John Wesley, he preached a sermon in 1741 called The Almost Christian. And Reverend DeVega puts it this way. Wesley used that term almost to describe the Christian who had the outward form of godliness. They went to Sunday school, they read the scriptures, but still fell short of, say it with me, altogether godliness on the inside. Full on, sold out, all in. And, and what I want you to know, if you're part of our community, we take seriously the role of the Holy Spirit. That's why we are called Acts 2. And we believe that God has given you that very spirit and empowered you to do more than just the basics. To do more than show up. And you might say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm doing good just to show up. Okay. But you're made for more than that. What we do here is supposed to affect and empower you for the way you live out there. To change the world. That's why we exist. To actually change the world. To bring heaven to earth as Jesus taught us. And so we don't do that in our own strength. Not at all. I love the way my colleague Kirby John Caldwell used to put it. He says, God has put some super on your natural. Supernatural, that's what we're about. So God has put extra on your ordinary, and say it with me, super on your natural to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, to make extraordinary things happen, supernatural things happen in this life. So this four-week sermon series is to help us, to help us move from merely living an almost life to the full, rich, altogether life that God has for us in God's kingdom. Will you, will you buy into that with me? Amen? So let, let's get going. Right? Rachel Held Evans uh, puts it this way. She says, heart and mind and body and soul. Love that envelops the entire self. No holding back. No fear. The life of faith cannot be lived half-heartedly. And the faith I profess and pass on to my children requires nothing less than absolute allegiance. And so here's a question for you. When you look at your life, Maybe just look at the last week. Do you practice justice, mercy, and truth? That's what we're to carry into the world. That is to be the markers of our life. John Wesley had a number of very pointed questions that he would ask his followers in the bands and the classes and the societies. And it was not an easy thing to be a Methodist. It was a term of ridicule, by the way, because we had a method for doing everything. Although, it beats the other one they used to call them, Bible Moss. And it just, you know, just doesn't have the same ring to it. Acts 2, Bible Moth Church. It just, just doesn't work. And so I'm glad we went with Methodist. And so these are the sorts of questions that Wesley would ask. And that, that really sold out Christians would ask to each other. And they would say, when we gathered, they would say, well, do I do good with all my might? Not just sometimes, but really 
Do, do I do it with all my might, with the very best that I can? Do I do everything with a desire to please God in every way? Do I really desire nothing but God? Is God enough? And one of the ways we know that is by looking at the next question is, do I love my neighbor as myself, as Jesus taught us? Do I love others as Christ loved me, washing feet, serving dinner, walking alongside, forgiving when betrayed or denied? Here's another one. And and this can be difficult because as we reflect, sometimes we don't want to reflect because we're afraid of what we'll see and we don't want to feel badly about what we've done or, or what's happened before in our life and we're worried that we'll get depressed or we can't get past it. So we have to ask ourselves this question, do I really believe that Jesus has taken away my sins and cast them as a stone into the depth of the sea as the Bible promises? Friends, if you're free, be free indeed. Don't be halfway free. That's no life at all. We don't want God to, you know, just put us on a chain. It used to be real short, now it's a little longer. That's, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking to be free to do all that God has for us. We can only do that if we know that Jesus has really taken our sin away. Do I feel this assurance in my bones that I am a child of God? And friends, I want you to know that you can know that. It, it, that's not a pie-in-the-sky statement. You can know that you know that you know that God is with you. When you wake up in the morning, all the way through the day when you put your head down at night, are you assured? And, and if, you, if you're not sure, then I hope you'll talk to someone in our faith community, one of the pastors, or uh, maybe your small group or Sunday school class leader uh, in the youth group. Because the Spirit is there to assure you, to bless you, to remind you of everything that Jesus has said, that you are a child of God. Can I declare Jesus... Just the way Peter did. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Can you say that? That if, Because we're around here, we know that God looks at our hearts. And can we just say, well, well, God, you know my heart. You know this. I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, writes about these things. He says, by helping us to hope intensely for restoration, to feel our own need to be saved, Advent prepares us for genuine Christmas joy. And faith in the one who saves us from our sin, Jesus. Jesus. So, our goal throughout these next four weeks is to take our almost peace, our almost hope, our almost love, our almost joy. Have you ever had a Christmas that was almost joyful? It's like, it's going to happen, I know, it never happens. And then your in-laws leave and you're like, there it is. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. And turn them into a full and altogether reality. That's what we're hoping for. Nadia Bowles-Weber has a way with words. She says, before we do anything wrong, friends, and before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as his own. That's good news. It's good news. Before you've done anything at all, God says, you're mine. And we, we've got um, young ladies here um, that are with child uh, every year. It's one of the great things about being a part of a young church. And, you know, you don't have to ask them, like, are you going to love the child? I mean, that is a given, isn't it? I already love this child. I'm carrying it around all day. Yes, I love this child. But there's this uneasiness. There's this anxiety. How will things go? We, we're not God. We don't see everything. And so whether it's Zechariah uh, in the temple and the, uh, the priest, or whether it's Mary or whether it's Joseph or the shepherds, we, say it with me, all need peace, don't we? We all do. 
And, and the beautiful thing is God has an answer for our anxiety. He says it over and over again. He sends messengers. He sends angels. You know what he always says? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Say with me. Do not be afraid. This time it's for Mary. You found faith with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and ever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. That's why we're here today, because his kingdom continues in and through you, his people. Now, the holidays tend to amplify the ongoing chaos in our lives. Amen? Yes, it happens. And especially in our relationship with our loved ones. And so sometimes, if we're not careful, we will actually dread Christmas because we remember Thanksgiving. Like, <laughs> right? it's not, they're not far enough apart. And, and so one of the things I, I really want to say to you is I hope that you will seriously consider buying less things this Christmas. Some of you are like, it's too late, it's done. But I really do. And, and for lots of reasons. One is that's not what Christmas is about. And two, it's bad for your soul. And three, nearly one in four adults are losing sleep worrying about how to pay for the holiday season. This insomnia is worse among parents with kids under 18 at 36%. More than one in three young parents are worried they can't even pay for Christmas. Doing things that Christmas is not about anyway. It's kind of nuts, isn't it? You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And by the way, if you're thinking about getting me a Christmas gift, don't. I've got enough Bibles. I've got enough plaques with, you know, crosses on them. Just save your money. Give it to the mission offering instead, right? Uh, Again, Reverend DeVega would say, we cover up our insecurities. We all have them. We put on a good face and chaos to convince others and even ourselves that things are better than they are. But on the inside, deep down inside, we are far from peaceful. We might even be afraid. So we need to hear again, the angels, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. I came across this piece of wisdom from Martha Nussbaum. She says, you know, the source of our anger is actually fear. It's fed by powerlessness. So when you get angry, you have to ask the question, well, what am I really afraid of in this situation? What am I afraid of that I don't have power? And so uh, the wise person, will, we, we will allow ourselves to be aware of your anger and then accept that you are angry. Yes, I actually am angry. And wise and healthy action. Say the last word with me. Action. Now, to be fair, a lot of folks never get past number two. I was like, yeah, well, well, what do you, maybe you've had this conversation. Well, you seem angry. What are you angry about? I'm not angry. <laughs> well, you could fool me. That acceptance, it, it makes things workable. But until you accept that, you can't take your action. And so Paul writes about this, actually, to the early church and to all of us. He says, yeah, be angry. It's a marker for something being wrong. But don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it linger. And do not make room for the devil. Because, you know, if you have anger for a long time, it makes you stupid. You do dumb things when you're angry. Unresolved anger creates opportunity for temptation. Oh, well, if they're going to be like that, then I'm going to be like this. And if you ever think of that, I'm going to be like this, it's never like the better version of yourself, is it? No, it, makes, it helps you have bad decisions and health problems, gut issues, heart issues, high blood pressure, depression, all of it. So when we talk about true peace, though, 
We're really going to look at peace as the Bible looks at it in Shalom. It's not merely the absence of tension, Dr. King says, but the presence of what? Justice. Where what God wants done is done. It's right. It's true. And so, if we will take our name seriously as Christians, we have to work for peace. As Christ did. As Christ did. The scripture says in Matthew, from Jesus' own lips, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you believe that? Because in our world, people who try to get people to get along, oftentimes they get like, well, crucified, don't they? And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They're really blessed. They're in God's kingdom. Yes. It doesn't mean it's always going to go well. See, peace is both the absence of war and the presence of justice. For the ancient Roman world, peace came through power, right? The Pax Romana. Oh, it's peaceful. Well, yeah, because if you get out of line, they're going to kill you, right? Peace came through power. It was not peace found by the presence of justice. No, not by a long shot. Or equality or wholeness of all life. Reverend Vega says, it was a peace that was forged by oppression of particular people, of all who would rise up against imperial Rome. Well, friends, that's not peace at all. It's actually injustice. So Jesus came to bring peace that was different than that Pax Romana to a desperate and dark world, that we might actually sit at the same table with him, love one another, care for one another. And so it's into this world that Jesus says an important word to his disciples and to us today. I will not leave you orphaned. You don't have to be afraid. I'm coming to you. Say it with me. Peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. And then he's like, look, you may not recognize it. I don't give to you as the world gives. Mm -mm. This is going to be different. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This peace was so important that it was the very last gift that Jesus gave to his disciples before he leaves the earth. If you, if you go flash forward to John chapter 20, four verses later, it says this, when, when the resurrected Jesus is with them, when it was the evening on that day, the first day of the week on Sunday, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, right? They were afraid, the exact opposite of what the messengers had told them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, say it with me, peace be with you, peace be with you. When's the last time you said, peace be with you? Ash Wednesday, probably. Right? That's part of the liturgy. Peace be with you and also with you. Right? But this ought to be a part of our conversation, a part of our language, a part of the regular part of our life. Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Certainly not a peaceful thing. And then the disciples, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, say with me, peace be with you. And then it gets real, as the Father sent me. Stay with me. So I send you into the world. And he breathes on them. He gives them a spirit, ruach, the breath of life, into his children, into his people, into his friends, to go change the world. And they did. By the year 300, this little ragtag band who was afraid and sitting down in the house alone had run over the Roman Empire with love and peace and and incredible hospitality to the sick and the hurting, to the lonely, to the widow and the orphan. 
And the world began to take notice. They wanted to be a part of something like that. And scholars have now said that it wasn't so much Constantine's dream as it was as his political smarts because Christianity was now more than half of the population in three centuries from this little band to the power of the world. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, receive the Holy Spirit. Reverend DeVega says, we are called to do good, not just once, in the hopes that it will be enough. Right? Some of you are like, well, I, I remember, I, I did something good when I was in junior high. I remember that real clearly. <laughs> and not with the expectation that the other person will reciprocate in kind. Right? That, that's business. Peacemakers do good all the time in every way. Now, these three ladies that I'm about to show you are incredible. I've loved following their lives, and they're powerful to me. And I was reminded of the power of their lives uh, because Rosalind Carter died this week. Um, actually, last Sunday, um, on well, November 19th. Princess Diana, Mother Teresa, and Rosalind Carter all worked for peace throughout their lives. Throughout their lives. Although it wasn't front-page news. And so when it comes to Diana, for example, I was reminded that for those younger than I am, you don't really remember her other than on the tabloids. That, you know, as your mom was taking you through the Safeway checkout, if there were still those things at that time, you, know, you would see her, her face. You know why? Because she was one of the most photographed women in the history of the world. But what you might not know is her charitable work. Did you know that she worked and patroned more than a hundred charities? Much of it on behalf of the homeless, the disabled, children, people with HIV and AIDS, which was a really big deal in her time. The year before her death, Lady Diana visited Angola as a part of her campaign to end landmines in the world. And she promoted this with the American Red Cross. And she would put herself at risk traveling to landmine projects all over the world. She would go to places like Sarajevo, Bosnia. That's not a safe place for royalty. She died in a car crash on August 31st, 1997. She'd made a world of difference when she could have done anything she wanted. And I remember I had just started ministry full-time as a senior pastor in Minko, and I remember uh, it was that summer, uh, and I, w- I just remember being devastated because I was, I was sad about the great loss of the world of her, and then five days later, Mother Teresa died. Just five days later. felt like the world became much darker in a week. And at the age of 18... She left her parents' home at 18 and gave herself fully to working for peace and caring for the poorest of the poor in the world in the slums of Calcutta. You know, we often think of Mother Teresa, you know, wonderful and wise in her older years, but she was about that work early on in her life, throughout her life. And even though she had zero money, no funds, she started an open-air school for children of the slum where she was working. And Mother Teresa's ministry from that one school in that one slum in Calcutta Calcutta now expands around the world doing ministry, not just with these people here, but all around the world for shut-ins and alcoholics and the homeless and those suffering from AIDS. And by the time of her death, there were more than one million co-workers with her cause in more than 40 countries around the world now working for peace, comfort, and joy in Christ's name. And then... Um, 
last Sunday on the, on the 26th. I, I misspoke earlier. We lost um, Lady Rosalind Carter at the age of 96. And she was not just a trailblazing first lady, although she was. She was also a caregiver to the world's most vulnerable. Her grandson, Jason, said, you know, my grandmother doesn't need a eulogy. Her life was a sermon. It was a mighty statement to the power of faith and the power of a deep and determined love. You may, you may know this if you're following um, this in the news. Rosalind and President Carter had just celebrated their 77th wedding anniversary, making them the longest-lasting presidential couple in American history. I was feeling really good about Chantel and I's 32. I'm like, I'm not even halfway there. Golly, I love you, but that's a long time. A long time. Rosalind once confided that she felt most comfortable with and had the most joy when she was with those in absolute abject poverty. That's where she really came alive. And she was known all the way through her life to put a $20 bill in every birthday card, even to her grandson who was 45 years old. And once on an um, airliner, commercial airliner, she pulls out a Tupperware container. Um, that's the thing that you open up and eat stuff out of. And she, you know what was in that container? Bread and cheese. And she started making sandwiches for everybody on the plane that wanted one. Her family remembers people saying, Rosalind Carter just made me a sandwich. <laughs> she just loved people. She loved to serve them throughout her life. That's just who she was. It was her character. And so let me ask you, would someone describe you as a worker for peace? Would they look at your life and say, yeah, yeah. Man, I I just feel better in their presence. Their peace surrounds me. Most of us, when we sing Away in a Manger, I'm I'm not really a huge fan of the song. It's a little slow for me. But I'll tell you, year-round, verse 3 is always in my mind. It's really what we're about. It's what the whole Christian life is about. If if you're not familiar with this old hymn, verse 3 says this, Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care. Say with me. And fit us for heaven to live with thee there. I mean, if you want, if you want to know what the goal of our church is, it's these last two lines. My responsibility is to help you be fit for heaven. We're, this is practice for heaven where everybody gets along, where everybody helps others, where everybody gives our resources so that no one is hungry, no one is homeless, no one is afraid, everyone has health care. Fit us for heaven to live with thee there. That's our prayer. Not just at Christmas, all year long. And so our action steps uh, to help us begin to be fit for heaven are these. The next time you feel angry, ask yourself, Hmm, what is it that I'm afraid of in this situation? Yesterday, as an Oklahoma State fan, I was afraid uh, a long time. And I was powerless to do anything about it. It was a terrible day. I said, well, why do I feel so powerless? Because I'm not on the field. I can't do anything. I'm not a coach. Just a fan. Hard day. 
Somebody asked me today, well, what did you think about the game yesterday? I was like, well, there was a game yesterday? I didn't see a game. Whew, that was a beatdown. Right? And then I have to ask myself, am I really as powerless as I think I am? No, turn off the TV, get on with your life. Uh, never let your emotions be run by 20 to 25-year-old boys. <laughs> Probably a good idea for life, right? Or you might ask yourself this question. Anger is going to happen in your life, friends. It just is. So how can I transform my anger? You know, I don't know if this is true or not, but I can imagine that when young Mother Teresa looked at the poor and the neglect of the entire world that they're suffering, she was angry. And she got after it. Changed the world. Transform it, Lord, into something healthy, into something productive and life-giving for everyone, for everyone. And if you don't know how to get started with that, let me help. Each year here, uh, the Christmas Eve offerings, whether that's the traveler service or the three we'll do on Christmas Eve, every single dime of it does never stay here. It's always out into the world to bring the kingdom, to do this kind of work. And so, you know, when you get home, just look at your receipts. Look at what you've spent so far. Look at what you've overspent so far. And then say, you know what? Jesus is the center of Christmas. He's who we worship. He's who we're supposed to care for. And then give a dollar more, at least a dollar more, to the mission offering than you're going to spend on yourself and your family. First couple of years we did this, I had people come to me like, I had no idea we spent that much on Christmas. Yeah, it can be a big number. But you don't need to. You don't have to. But the world needs people of action. Workers for peace. Will you pray this closing prayer with me? Loving God of peace, thank you for Jesus Christ who showed us how to live as peacemakers. Thank you for all those who have gone before us, who taught us ways to live in peace with our neighbors. Grant us wisdom, insight, and courage to follow in their footsteps and be peacemakers in our world today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.